Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing word for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook and pen, and get ready for what God has to say to you today. My name is Gabe, I'm married to this beautiful lady Fiona here in the front, and we've got uh, two amazing little kids, Olivia and Benji, and they're both under the age of uh, six, Olivia's five, Benji's three, and uh, if you are a parent, you'll understand that your, your life, people often say to me, so what do you do in the evenings? And I just laugh. Slough. I just said we, we, we just feed the children, we just, uh, we just make sure we bath the children, we get them in bed, and then it's time for bed ourselves. It's just like, it's the, uh, any, any parents, give me an amen. Anyone, amen, they could? One, two, three, a few of them, yeah, thank you. But it's, there is this, this, this moment, this, this thing called the bedtime routine, which is for a while, for a while when our, our little man Benji was, was, was a nappy still and was with mom a lot, I, I took over the, the story reading time with Olivia. And this was uh, my privilege. I love this reality that I would get there and sit by Olivia. Love to make sure that I worked all the details of the story. That if I'm reading the book, she, 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 know, she can pick up if I'm, gonna, if I'm just flubbing it. If I'm just going through the motions, she doesn't like that. She wants the voices. She wants the, she wants the characterization. She wants the drama. She wants me to make sure that I'm taking the, pacing the story, building the tension, resolving it as I read the, the book. But if you've been doing this night after night after night after night, it gets quite exhausting, especially when the, the, the array of books is about 15 of them, and just repeat, rinse and repeat. And I'm like, I know how this thing ends sometimes. So when we would often get a whole bunch of new books or, or second-hand books from friends saying, hey, would you like some books? I'm like, yes, please, give me some, anything, anything different. I was about to open the U magazine and start reading that to her, just because I was like, anything different. But I would often realize that Olivia was a sharp little cookie, that if I, if I would start to read, and then I'm, I, you know, I know she can't read the words as well as I can, so if we've got a new book, I've got the luxury that I can start setting the pace of the story a bit more. I can turn the pages a bit quicker. One, two, skip a few, you know, just a few details. But I could just check that there'll come a little frown. She's like, this is not making sense, Dad. Your creativity is, is dropping some key details. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's two pages there. I'm like, lives, 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 back off, back off, it's getting late. You know, she's like, Dad, there's more to the story. What's going on here? I go, oh, eventually, she'll, she'll catch on. But I remember distinctively that there was this really good book that we really got into, guys. I want to tell you, this book was incredible. Put Netflix uh, to shame, I was just in it. I was in it, and I remember us reading this book, and it was getting going, and then I realized, because this was a secondhand book, as I got near the end, some pages were missing. Now, it wasn't just Olivia, Olivia complaining. I was like, no, what is going to happen to this little bear? And this adventure, what is this? Is, this is trauma for me because I want to know how this finishes. It's not this to be continued. I need to know. And uh, I remember us looking and then searching, saying, where are these pages gone? And it's just this reality that we were stuck longing for, the fact that there was more to the story, and we just could not get to it. We just could not get it. No matter how many times I read up to that point, the story just would never feel complete. It would never feel like it had a resolution because we would get stuck at that juncture every time because there's no more pages. I could use my imagination. I could try and come up with something, but we knew something was missing. Let me tell you the reality of what I'm trying to get at today. I'm not just trying to bring you into our bedtime routine here. You all are welcome, though, between 7.30 and 8.30. Pop in any time you like. You can take over the show. But I, I'm actually wanting to remind us that actually this is the reality for us today. This, the title of my sermon is, There's More to the Story. The reason why I want to tell you that is that maybe you're here today and you're trying to make sense of the missing moments, the devastating disappointments, the heart-wrenching breakups, the abrupt endings of your life, and maybe it feels like the plot line of your life is just not making sense at this moment. It feels like there's some things that are missing. You're trying to navigate this, the crescendo. You're saying, why is it not building up in the dramatic way that it should, should be going? I'm trying to make sense of the plot of my story. I want to tell you today, there's still more to your story. 
There's more to your story. So I want to preach this together with us today. Why don't you high-five five people around you, give them a high-five, and tell them the title of my sermon. Tell them there's more to the story. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for what you're doing with us as a community. I thank you, Father. Would you come now and move in power? We don't want to just talk about you. We don't want to just theorize about you. We want to encounter you. I thank you, Father. I don't want to just read your word. I thank you that your word would come now and read us. I thank you, Father God, where our lives feel like they have ground to a halt, where it feels like we, our stories have been hijacked by another, by relationship failure, by the disappointment of man, by a, a retrenchment paper, by the economics of our situation, by bills, by pills, by doctor's diagnoses, where our story feels like it's hijacked and our emotions aren't trying to catch up with the story and they feel like there's some certain pages missing and how am I going to make it to the end of the story? Where's the resolution coming I thank you, Father, we hear heaven's agenda today, declare over our lives, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. And I thank you, Father God, we respond right now with faith to allow the editor, the great cosmic editor, Jesus Christ, to come and write in the pages of our hearts afresh. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We are starting a brand new series today for the next few weeks called The Heart of It. The Heart of It, and it's this, this understanding that looking at through the, the lens of the passage found in Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15 basically is three successive stories, parables Jesus tells, but these parables that he tells are almost like the defense of his ministry. They are answering the question, why do I do what I do? Why have I come and why am I acting the way that I am acting? You see, up to for, for the, all the way through the Old Testament, the Jewish audience had a certain way the Messiah would come and he would act and he would do this and he would X, Y, Z. And then they get to the end of the Old Testament. And if you look in your Bible, at the end of Malachi, when Malachi finishes, they're saying God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And it's this hopeful resolution. And then it's one blank page before you turn it and you find the New Testament. But let me tell you, that blank page that's been inserted there by our editors who put the Bible together, that blank page represents 400 years from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament. 400 years. It was almost like the people had been reading the story, finding the crescendo. The story is moving to a resolution, and then boom, this page is missing. What is going to happen next? 400 years of silence where it felt like God had left them. God had abandoned them. And actually the editor's pen was nowhere to find and they're trying to have to make up the story themselves. And in that period, they've got confused. And they don't know what to do. Jesus arrives on the scene and Jesus' ministry, the way that he is walking, the talking, and the way things he's saying, but more importantly, the people he's hanging out with are flummoxing them because they cannot reconcile him to the Messiah, the picture of the Messiah that they've created in their brain. So when they get to Luke chapter 15, which we're going to read together now, we find out that there's a certain groups of people that are surrounding Jesus. And Luke 15 starts out by telling us there were tax collectors and notorious sinners. And I love this reality. Tax collectors were the hated of the hated of the day. They're the people who were so despised by the people. Why? Because they were Jewish people who had betrayed their origin of birth to side with the Romans and make a quick buck out of them against their people. They were heavily taxing their own people and siding with the Roman oppressors and they became vilified, hated to such an extreme that they, they are tax collectors that when the biblical author says there was tax collectors and notorious sinners surrounding Jesus, the notorious sinners were saying, just don't call us tax collectors. 
We may be dodgy, but just don't call us those guys. And this, this is amazing. The Bible says Jesus is telling these parables, but let me tell you, his front row, his front row as he preaches were tax collectors and notorious sinners. And I said it before, that if you are somebody, not just a sinner, but a notorious sinner, you've made a name for yourself in that game. Notorious sinners. This is his front row, not the best of the best like we've got here. Oh, look at the best and the brightest. No, but the worst of the worst are at the front row eating the popcorn, taking every word that Jesus is saying. This is the front row of Jesus' ministry. But there's also another group of people called the Pharisees who snuck in amongst them. They were listening uh, with, with ears uh, tuned to what Jesus was saying. And they were so shocked because they saw the crowd. They actually weren't listening to what Jesus was saying. They saw to the people that Jesus was saying it to. And they said, they saw, they said he hangs out with tax collectors and notorious sinners. And, it says, and he even eats with them. So this is the, the critique of Jesus. And then Jesus almost rolls up his sleeves and he says, boys, you think you've come to the end of the story and you think you know how it's going. I want to tell you there's more to the story. And Jesus starts to give his defense, not telling us three cute and cuddly stories about sheep, coins, and sons. No, no, he's telling us stories about the defense of why he does what he does. This is Jesus on the offense, telling us there's more to the story. So we want to look at this moment at this time. So let's read this together. And verse 3 says, so Jesus told him this story. It'll come up on the screen before, behind me. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There's more to the story, though, because in verse 8 kicks off and Jesus says, Jesus continued. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Jesus takes a breath, and they think he's done. But verse 11 kicks in and says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And that's where the text on the screen will stop now, because I want to tell you this narrative, this final narrative, as Jesus is setting them up, one story after another, telling them at every juncture, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. There's more to the story before it meets the first, meets the eye. And this is the reality. Jesus starts to tell this third narrative where he says, there was a father who had two sons. And this famous narrative goes on saying that the youngest son came to his father. And we understand that in, the, in that narrative, in that culture, in that history, the inheritance would go to the oldest son by default. But in this culture, in this story, Jesus says the youngest son comes arrogantly to his father and says, I want your, my inheritance now. It's not his inheritance to, to, to demand. And also, inheritance are only parceled out when the father is no longer around, a.k.a. is dead. So when the son comes and says, I want my inheritance now, basically what the hearers of the day are hearing, they are shocked because they're hearing the youngest, the illegitimate who does not have a seat at that table, coming to the father arrogantly and saying, I wish you were dead now. And they're shocked. They are shocked. Jesus, the master storyteller, has them eating out of the palm of his hand as people are going, hi, bo. And as they are so shocked, they're like, that, that guy, is that kid, how dare that guy? But Jesus says, there's more to the story. You think that's bad? 
there's more to the story. He says, this boy then got the inheritance. His dad gave him the inheritance. And you can hear the audible shock. They're going, the father would, con- would consent and give him the, his share of inheritance there. And he parceled it out equally between the two boys. Says the youngest boy then went to a place called a distant country or a far country. And this is the incredible reality. When the Bible says the word a far country, what they're meaning there is it's a euphemism for that place. The place that's beyond your mind. It's a sort of a phrase of like that's become colloquialized in our setting. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like even if we have never been there, you understand that phrase is loaded with meaning. It's loaded with debauchery and chaos. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You just watch two movies and you know what ha- what's happening in Vegas. So when the, Jesus says he went to a far country, there again went, oh my goodness, a far country. He went far, he went wild. And when they would have said, no, no, Jesus, don't go there. Jesus said, no, no, he went there. The far country. And they're so shocked, but Jesus goes, wait a minute, there's more to the story. Because let me pull the veil of what this guy did in the far country. He lived a lavish lifestyle, bigger than he could afford. He wasted everything that his father had taken a lifetime to amass in a mere matter of moments. Pouring out his cash on, on women, on drink, on, on, on parties, on the lifestyle. He was, he was cashing checks that he could not pay. You know, he was, just, he was swiping, he was tapping, he was inserting, he was going wild, everything. It was just a wild time for him. He was living large, and then the money started to run out. But Jesus says there's more to the story because actually after a while, he realized the money ran out, and he did something that millennials struggled to do. He went and got a job. Wow. <laughs> sure, sorry. Shots fired. Woo, woo, woo. Shots fired. Anyway, being an encouragement to whoever needs to hear that. Anyway. But he got, he couldn't, it was tough economic times, he could not, there was, he put the CV out, no one was, no one was responding to the CV, so he went to one of the lowest paying jobs, the most, the lowest of the lows, a place where there was, there was famine in the land, so he went and worked in a pig pen, a pig pen, and now can I tell you, this was the moment, you say, Jesus was said, this boy said, I wish you were dead, and the people would have shocked, we, no ways, he said, he went to a far country, they were going, no, 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 he, he spent all and wasted all his money, his father's money in moments, they were like, no, Jesus, no, this guy can't be doing this. Jesus said, there's still more. He went and worked in a pig pen. Jewish people don't like pigs. <laughs> They're expressly forbidden from touching them, from eating with them, for, for eating with them. <laughs> yeah. Also, I'd encourage you, just don't eat with pigs. <laughs> Hashtag no bacon. Just, you know, this is... This is the reality, and I can almost, you can almost hear the dry heaving as people going, even the tax collectors are going, no, that guy, that guy is so dodgy. How dare he do this? And the Bible says that to us, as Jesus tells this narrative, is saying that he was got so hungry that he started to even eye out what the pigs were eating himself. This is Jesus, the masterful storyteller, dragging them in and saying there's more to the story. You think he went far? He went further. You think he went far? He went further than you thought. He's gone so, so far that he's now actually at the very bottom, the base. There's nowhere else to go. And this is the incredible thing. When all of them heard this, I can imagine if Jesus stopped there and said full stop, they all would have left going, feeling a lot better about themselves. The Pharisees saying, yeah, good Jesus. You taught us a great moral lesson about actually if we disobey, what will happen to us? Yeah, yeah, it's good. The notorious sinners and the tax collectors would have gone, there's some guys worse than us. Woo, thank goodness. We are okay for another week. We'll see you next week, Jesus. What a great moral story to learn from. But Jesus takes a breath, and as they're about to put their notepads away and leave and go, what a service. Let's go get coffee. Jesus goes, wait, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. 
and he keeps going. And that's where we'll keep reading now in verse 17. It says this about the son. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And as we pause there, I can imagine the audience there going, rubbing their hand in glee, going, now he's going to get what's coming from him. This boy has betrayed his family. He's going to come home, and oh my goodness, he's, all hell's going to break loose. The dad's going to whip out the shambok and go, oh, the boy's home. Yeah, here we go. And, and like, there's almost this, 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 this like bloodthirst amongst the crowd. They're like, yes. And we all love it. We all love a little bit of justice for when somebody's betrayed, when somebody has let us down, when somebody on, on the, in, in the political field has really been caught out. We're like, yes, get him. It's that, that, that sort of bloodthirst. We want that. We want that reality. But then this is what happens in the narrative. It says, the next slide says, and while he was still a long way off, so he's walking home, it says, the father saw him and was filled with, and there's a blank that I've left there right now. Because can I tell you, if they had pressed pause in that movie, and Jesus said, and the father saw him and was filled with, and he started to say, what, what do you think the father was filled with? Let me tell you, Pharisees would have had an answer like this. It would have said, anger, justified anger. Yeah. Sinners would have gone, anger. Taxi said, anger, he deserves what's coming to him. This boy, come home, he's going to get it. Here we go. But this Jesus continues and says, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Compassion. And that word compassion, the, the root word there means wild joy and pain as if it was his own. Wild joy mixed with pain. Wild joy seeing his son come home, but mixed with the pain of knowing how far his son has gone. As if it was his own. The next reminder tells us, this thing, it tells us what happened next. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And that line doesn't do it justice because, either because in our English language. Because when you understand if the father ran, there was another shocking thing that Jesus brought to the table. Because Jewish men did not run. If you're running, it shows that you are doing somebody else's bidding. It shows that you're in the ploy of somebody else, that you're a lower level. And this man, he's, he's, the, the outfit, the attire also of the day did not give themselves to running. There was no spandex. There was no running kits. There was no uh, headband around. You know, He was not ready for the, the, the comrades coming up. No, no, no. This father was in Jewish long garb, long robes, and, and this is not ideal for running. So for him to run, this means the father had to lift up his dress Show off those pale white legs, whatever, whatever color they would have been. So I'm just picturing myself. I apologize. Show off those legs that it would embarrass him amongst those who are paid to run for him. Lift up that and embarrass himself, run towards his son. A son that has embarrassed him, a son who's betrayed him, a son who's undermined him. The father is saying, I'm putting my reputation on the line to run towards him. The father, he ran to his son. It says he embraced him. And then it says, and kissed him. Let me tell you, that, re that word kissed, the better way is this. He kissed him, and kissed him, and kissed him, and kissed him. Four times. That would have been a better translation. He kissed him, and kissed him, and kissed him, and kissed him. Can I have some, a volunteer just, no, I'm just joking. If, he, if you want, sure. We can, we can give it a go if you want. This church. But this is, this is not just some, hey, nice to have you home. This is lavish outpouring of affection and love. I can imagine the son seeing his dad hiking up that skirt, running towards him, going, oh, here he comes. Dad is loading that fivefold ministry coming right into my face. Here we go. 
And the dad embraces him and starts to kiss him and kiss him and kiss him. And he's got the smell and stench of his sin, of, his, of, the, of, the, of the pigsty on him. But the father is not worried one iota about that. He's embracing him. This is incredible. And this is the reality. We get to verse 21. This is the son's speech. It'll come up here. It says, the son, hearing this, taking it back, starts to go with what he's re recalled, what he has been repeating to himself all the way home. The thing that he's been reciting, when I see dad, I'll say this, this will be my justification. So he says, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And then you'll see that thing in yellow there is a little B in your Bible. If you go see that B, what it means is indicating at the bottom of your Bible, you'll see a little asterisk there where that B is at the bottom. And the editors now have added in this word. They've said they've added in what the son had prepared to say. It says, please take me on to be your hired servant. They've put that in there because in the original language, it's not there, but they're trying to reconcile the two speeches. They don't know what to do with it. They're adding this extra bit in to try and say this is what his speech was, and they, what they don't actually understand. Earliest manuscripts don't have the son finishing off his justification because the very next line says, the father interrupted him and said, quick, we need to put a robe on him. We need to put rings on him. We need to get his shoes. The father did not let him finish this reality. This is so huge for you and I because I think in this, as I read this, I see the story, this thing that says, hey, something's missing. It seems like something's missing here in his speech. But Jesus is saying, actually, in the missing element, there's more to the story. But it's actually not in your ability to write it. It's not in your ability to justify it. It's not in your ability to say, hire me back and repay it. Because the father in that moment is saying, no, no, no. For you to come back, it's not on your terms. You're not repaying me. This is now on my terms. And this is the reality we need to know for this. Is the father saying, you can't ever repay me. That we are sons and daughters by birth, not by worth. Let me say it again. We are sons and daughters by worth, by birth, not by worth. Let me say it again so I get it right. We are sons and daughters by birth, not by worth, not by what we've earned, not by what we've brought to the table, not to the asterisks and how we've tried to fill in the gaps of our story. No, no, no. This is what it is, that we are born of God by what he has done, not what we can do. And this is the huge reality for you and I, a story that I love that I retell myself often, is there's this illustrative narrative of, I can imagine it, a Christian getting into a boxing ring with the devil. And it's this, this brawl, this heavyweight brawl. And it feels like it's an even match. There's thousands and thousands of people around this, this ring. And the Christian's getting a few shots in, stepping forward, and they're taking obedience and making decisions for God. And it feels like, come on, we're going, we're going. But just as he's looking around, Satan, the ever the cheat, it's a low blow. Boom, gets right in there and gets solar plexus right in the face. And the Christian is floored. Boom, out for the count. And it's almost like this moment, Satan knows there's the, a deathly hush that the people can't believe that the Christian has been taken out. And the referee comes up and sees the, the dazed looking Christian on the ground. They've been taken out by the enemy. It feels like their story has ended. It feels like it's game over. And the referee starts to count. One, two, three, four, five. And with every number going past, Satan is walking around, and he's, he's goading with his supporters. He knows he's flexing. He's like, get them to line up. Who's next? Who's next? Six, seven, eight. He's ready to punch the end. Victory, nine. And he's ready for the bell to ring. He gets on the ropes, and he's like, I'm the champ of the world. And then he has the referee say, 10, 11, 12. And now Satan is so shocked. 
What is going on? 13, he runs to the referee, whips off the referee's outfits, and the referee's name is Grace. And he says, this is not fair. And Grace says, I know. 14, 15, 16. Why? Because Grace keeps counting, even when you've counted yourself out. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus is doing. He, Grace is saying, I will keep counting. The Father saying, I will keep counting. Even if you think you're far gone, you think you're so far, you think there's so many pages missing, you've been trying to fill the gaps. How can I reconcile my emotional state to what I believe about Jesus? It feels there's so many huge gaps. Let me tell you, Grace keeps counting until sons and daughters get back up off the mat. You may feel you're disqualified. You may be feel that you're so far. Let me tell you, Grace keeps going. 110. 111, grace will keep counting. It will keep counting. And I tell you, some of you think that he's counted way too long. Grace keeps going. 550, 551, today could be your day to get off the mat. There's more to the story. As I mentioned, father cuts his son off, the speech, and cuts him off and says this word, quick. The father says this word, quick. And it's such a, a word that just jars at your spirit because actually in my heart, if I was that dad, based on the evidence of what I'd seen, I'd be wary to be quick with this boy. I'd, I'd, I'd be, hey, I love you, but I'm gonna move slowly. You know what, I don't trust you. You need to rebuild trust here. Let's, let's see how this goes. Let's give, him a, let's give him a little bit of a lower job. Let's, see, let's get him work his way back up to the table. Let's, let's get him into a halfway house. Let's make him sit in the corner. Maybe, maybe there's more to the story that he's not telling us. He says that he's run out of money. What has he actually been done there? I want to go and see the internet history. I want to see the credit card statements. I need to know where he's gone. Slow this process down. But the father says, no, the father says, quick, get the ring. Get the robe. Get the sandals. The son of mine who was dead is now alive. The son of mine who was lost is now found. This is huge. And then they said, then they begin to celebrate. They begin to throw down. They begin to have a party of all parties. And if you want to know what heaven is like, forget the clouds, forget the cherubim, forget the, the, the harpists going on there. You can have that if you like. But let me tell you, a biblical understanding of heaven is it's a party. What is happening in heaven right now? It says, one sinner repents, a party in heaven. All the angels rejoice. Rejoice. This is, this is extravagant. It's loud. It's, 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 it's throbbing with joy and passion and love for the people of God coming home. What will heaven be like? It'll be loud. It'll be passionate. It'll be celebration as we behold the King of glory, the Father who's always pursued us, who's run for us, who gave everything for us. That is what heaven is like. Thank you for that clap, Josh. But there's a story as we bring this into close about a man, a preacher in America, and he's told the story ad nauseum, but it just still does something to me as a parent. I started off with the narrative of, of my kids, and when I think about this story, it does something to my heart. He is a man, a man named Chris Hodges, and he had five children, and he always says, I had five children, not because I like children, but because I like my wife. That's a good starting point. But he said, yeah, we're on holiday with these five kids, and uh, the youngest, Joseph, had some learning disabilities, so they often would have to slow everything down for Joseph and make sure that everything would be walking faster for Joseph, or, or they'd just keep Joseph in the loop. But as they're walking down the street, a busy street, shops going on, after a while he started looked around, and, and they suddenly realized that for a long time Joseph had been missing. One, two, three, four. Where, where, where's, where's Joseph, guys? Where's Joseph? And a bit of a panic because they knew Joseph wasn't good on his own. 
Joseph wouldn't be able to orientate himself back to the family. And they started, his brain started to go places it didn't want to go. He had read headlines about child snatching and this thing, and he started to freak out. At the very worst, his child was gone. At the best, his child was alone and lonely and isolated. Guys, where's Joseph? And he told his family, boys, boys, let's go. We're going to look for Joseph. Everything stops now. The agenda stops now. The shopping stops now. We're looking for Joseph. And he ran to a security guard who was there on the wall, on the back wall, leaning there, chewing gum, as they do in America. And just they casually, like, just leaning there, chewing the gum. Yeah, what's up, man? And, and he said, no, I, I'm looking for a son this high. Yay, hi, have you seen him? And the guy said, no, I haven't seen him. And just kept, carried on standing there. And he said, I've never been more irritated by man's inactivity. He said, this man's inactivity could not recognize the, the pulsating passion of the father at that moment. He had a job, he had a badge, but he had missed the understanding of what he was employed to do. In that moment, standing there, just watching this happen. But they looked and they went around and looking, everything stopped. And he said, there was moments where the, sometimes the other kids might have come up to him and said, hey dad, what are we doing next after this? Well, not a bad question for a son to ask a father. Terrible question to ask at that time when Joseph is missing. Dad, what's for dinner tonight? Can we, can we go? That is the wrong question to ask. And actually in this moment, Chris tells us the story. When they finally found Joseph and his, he was there and he had, at the one shop they had forgotten him at, he had been at the back playing with some toys and they were able to reunite the family in huge relief that Joseph was safe. He said that at no point in the day did he go, you know what, I'm tired, I'm on holiday. Let's call it quits. One, two, three, four. That's 80%. It's a pass. Let's go home. It's good enough, guys. You know, four-fifths. You know what? Why not, man? Come on. At no point did he say, that's okay. Because as long as Joseph was missing, he would not stop seeking. And let me tell you, that is the very heartbeat of what we are doing here. If you want to know the heart of this, but I want to tell you more than just this, the heart of Jesus, what his mission is, what his heart beats for, Jesus says there's more to the story. It's not about your comfort. It's not about you being able to make your sense of your story. It's about us making sense of the story of those who are far from him. And I tell you, as long as Joseph's are still missing, we will keep seeking. As long as Joseph's are still missing, I will keep preaching. As long as Joseph's are missing, we will keep praying. As long as Joseph's are missing, we'll keep serving. As long as Joseph's are missing, we'll still be gathering. We'll still be going out. We'll be still counting the cost. We'll still be giving. We'll be still be stepping out of faith because actually this is the heart of this. This is the heart of the Father. There's more to the story. I want to tell you, in 1999, this church was planted. Life Changes was planted in Tableview with this heartbeat. Not because Tableview needed another neat, tidy, suburban church. No, because the heart of the Father. Where's Joseph? Where's my sons? Where's my daughters? They need to come home. Let me tell you, in 2010, when we had one nice service as a church, cute, cuddly, happy, lovely, we decided actually we're going to step out in faith and we're going to start an evening service. People said, but what if nobody came? We said, well, if one person comes, we'll do it. Because that person might be a Joseph. Somebody is praying for. We want to be the church. They'll be the answer to prayers that other people are praying for. We'll do that. We'll keep going. And I remember starting the service. And as we started in week one, there was about 10 people in the hall that could sit 400. And I felt very exposed. What are we doing? I felt the Father, in a sense, whisper in my ear, there's more to the story. Maybe you can't make sense of the pages right now, but there's more to the story. Small steps of faith, watch what God will do. Tell you in 2016, when we started this, we started Life Changes Milneton in a land, in a school hall where people told us to our face, this area is a graveyard for churches. Churches don't make a year here. And I just remember that moment of hearing the whisper of Sarah and saying, graveyards, I do 
resurrection miracles in graveyards. There's more to the story. I remember us losing that venue and Fiona and I driving around and we often marvel as we drove around. We know every venue in this area. We knocked on doors. We went to places that you wouldn't even believe. And we went there because we were looking for a venue, not because we needed a place to do church, but because actually we want to make sure that we can find Joseph. We want to find sons and daughters who are too far so they can come home burning in our hearts. I remember us going back to Seamount Primary. We'd been at Seamount Primary before, and many years before we were told, no, we don't do that. We don't host churches here. We just felt the Lord say, there's more to the story. Go back a second time. God opened the door. Where it didn't make sense, God opened the door for us to do church there. And let me tell you, in the pandemic, when so many churches were losing venues, we were told we cannot meet in school hall. We were people who were given an incredible venue in Sable Square that served us for a season. Not because we wanted just to do church, because we want to have carry the heart of the Father. There's more to the story. And let me tell you, now in this season, we're buying that field. If you don't know the narrative, we, were, we trusted for this venue. We trusted for years, prayed for this venue, for a venue like this. And we got to this moment, we were able to take the step of faith, but we were nervous. And then we get this word from God, waking up one morning, I woke up with the phrase, buy that field in my heart. And I said to Fiona, that's in the Bible, isn't it? She said, I don't know. You're the guy who preaches. You're paid to do that. So we, we went and we Googled. <laughs> we found that the phrase is in Jeremiah chapter 32. This, this, this little tucked away in there, this narrative in a world, in a society where the people had lost confidence of their ability. They were about to go, the Jewish people, into Babylon. The pages of their story were getting so confused, felt like they'd been cut up. They did not know where to go. So they were selling out and saying, we're just going to go with the flow. We can't make sense of it. We think our story's done. We're just going to go to Babylon. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and said, well, even though you're going to go into captivity for seven years, buy that field now because I will bring you back to this land. In a sense, Jeremiah, there's more to the story. I'm not finished. You think there's a full stop. It's just a divine comma. You think it's the page that's been cut out. No, I'm, I'm welding in new stories that you haven't even fathomed to believe yet because there's more to the story. And this is the amazing thing. As the scripture came that night, we shared to our pastors and leaders. We said, we feel the scripture. I remember saying, I feel the scripture is from God. I think it's from God to encourage us that we need to take a step of faith. And now one of our elders and Pele looked at me and he's a lawyer. And his eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, Mpele, I haven't finished with my story. Relax. He was like, no, I need to say something. I said, relax. I need to finish my story. And he goes, no, in a sense, there's more to the story, Gabe. And I'm like, okay, interrupt me. And Pele says, last night, he said, I was reading a law textbook. And he said, in the law textbook, was telling, there was a line that told us about the first offer to purchase that was ever found in history is recorded in the Bible in Jeremiah 32. And he had highlighted it and he showed it to me. It said, when you were woken up this morning, God had already showed me that scripture in the law textbook. There's more to the story. And this whole thing collides. Why? Not because God is wanting to wow us for our own sake, but because he is so passionate. Because as long as Joseph's are missing, as long as there's sons and daughters who are far from him, he says, I'll give everything. I'll run far. I'll embarrass myself. I'll be undignified so that they may come home to me. Can we stand to our feet? I want to pray for us tonight, today, and tonight, and this afternoon. I really, really believe that today is a significant day for us. As we start this series, we're reorientating our hearts that this is what we, why we do what we do. That Jesus' defense of his ministry was saying there's more to the story. Now I want to tell you right now, maybe your own story has come crashing down around you or maybe 
It's not even that overt. Maybe it's in the background. You're trying to make sense of your thought life, of your experience in your relationship. You're rethinking things and trying to make sense and turn the pages back and forward. And how does this add up to this? And you're trying to work out what's the way forward. I want to declare over you today, there's more to your story. Come to your senses. It's not in you, it's in him. So with every eye closed right now, I believe today is the day for sons and daughters to come home. Come home, not to religion, not to I'm going to try harder, not to a speech saying, let me be your servant, but to a father who says, quick, put on the robe, put on the ring, put on the shoes. Sons and daughters, come home. And maybe today is your day. No one else is looking around, and maybe you feel like you've been on that mat, you've been counted out. I want to tell you, grace keeps counting, and today is your day to come up. 10, 11, 12, stand up in Jesus' name. God is calling you to a future. The divine editor is writing. If that's you, I want to count to three. And if that's you saying, I need to come home. That son had to leave the pig pen and start walking home. Today, maybe that small step of obedience is lifting your hand and saying, count me in this prayer, Gabe. Count me in because grace has not started counting me out. If that's you, I'm going to count to three. I love you. Lift your hand. Just say, come back to the Father. Come back to Him. One, the Father's seeking you. Two, the Father's running towards you. Three, if that's you, lift your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you. Cool, cool. Father, thank you for these hands, symbolic of heart, saying I'm returning back to you, Father. I've been trying to do it my own way. I've lived in a far country. I've gone far, but I thank you right now I realize your grace has gone further. I cannot outrun you. I cannot hide from you. Your grace will relentlessly pursue me. It will seek me out. The eyes of the Father have never left me. And I thank you, Father, right now. There's a the repenting. There's a returning to your home. Returning to your purposes. Returning to your authority. To returning to your sonship and daughtership over their lives. So I thank you, Father. Do this by your grace. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to take your next step or find out what is happening in the life of the church, head over to our website or follow us on social media. Cheers.